Welcome. This week's Torah portion is Parshas Kisavo, and the beginning of the Parsha talks about the idea of Bikurim. We'll get into that, and then we'll touch on some other areas of the Parsha. So the Torah starts off, So it will be that when you enter the land that Hashem has given you, and the season comes that you harvest your grains and your produce. So there is a special mitzvah called Bikurim, and that is the mitzvah to bring the first crops of all the different types of crops that you're harvesting and bring it to Yerushalayim. It's a form of, of thanks to Hashem. You're going to take all these beautiful fruits and things that you have, and you bring them to Jerusalem, and you give them to the Kohen in the temple, in the Beis HaMikdash, and uh, you thank Hashem, you make this declaration of thanks to Hashem, and you talk about the idea how Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, and He took us out of the house of slavery, and finally He brought you to this wonderful land, and now you are presenting to Hashem the, the fruits of your labor, all this, all this harvest that you have, and you're bringing it to Hashem, and you're rejoicing with gratitude in all that you have done. And uh, Rev Hirsch talks about the procession that was the, the ceremony of bringing these Bikurim to Jerusalem and such a incredible event that this was. It wasn't just like an idea, you know, that you, you're giving charity or you're giving something and you just give it away, you transfer it from your bank account. This was a big deal. So he talks about how people would come from one city, they'd make a trip together, okay? So let's say the people of uh, Ashkelon are now coming to Jerusalem to bring their Bikurim. So they would come together, they would have this whole procession leading through, you know, through the land of Israel and up to the outskirts of Jerusalem, and they were led by a leader, and then when they arrived there, they would they would come to the outskirts, they would announce that their, their arrival, they would start to decorate their baskets of fruit, they would decorate them to make them look beautiful and, and make this like a, a more, you know, presentable ceremony, so meaning to say, they're traveling through. They're not just quietly coming through the roads with little suitcases and, and nobody knows what it is. This is going to be a big public ceremony. They, they dress up their baskets and all kinds of decorations. And then they're greeted on the outskirts of Jerusalem by representatives of the Beis HaMikdash and Jewish leaders. And they would go through the streets of Jerusalem and they would be greeted by all the people who are working there. So all the businesses that they're passing by, everybody would stop what they're doing. They'd go outside, they see this big ceremony, and they would greet them. They would say, brothers from such and such city, peace be upon you, until finally they came to the actual temple. And even, you know, the greatest leaders would take his basket on his shoulder, bring it in, present it to the Kohen. They would sing. I saw some commentators talk about how when we're rejoicing to Hashem, we're being thankful to Hashem. One of the greatest ways to do that is through shira, through singing. So this is the the procession that was done. And uh, everybody would thank Hashem for what they received, but then also they would make a declaration before Hashem. And this is a, a fascinating idea that the Torah tells us. So we're, we're making this statement to Hashem that I did everything that you asked of me. The Amarta Lefnei Hashem Elokecha, this is chapter 26, verse 13, and you will say to Hashem your God, Bi'arti HaKodesh Menabayas, I brought all the holiness out of my house. What does that mean? 
Holiness refers to the requirements that we need to give right now of charity. So we need a support. I need to support the, the orphan and the convert and the widow. Like all of the commandments that you have given me, I did not pass over any mitzvahs, and I didn't forget about anybody. So nowadays, if we want to give charity, you know, we could probably think of hundreds or thousands of charity organizations that you just give a donation to. In the old days, it was a different system. In the old days, there was a seven-year cycle of, you know, the primary occupation, which was farming in some form or another. So you'd be having all your grains and all your harvest and, and all your everything, and you have a seven-year cycle. The seventh year is called Shemitah, which, like it is this year in Israel, it is the year of Shemitah, the seventh year, we let the land rest. But all the other years, we still have different forms of obligations and mitzvahs. So one year, we would give miser, we would give 10% of our earnings to one group of people, and sometimes it was the poor people, and some, you know, and the widows and orphans, and sometimes it was the Levites, the Levim, who are dedicating their life to serving Hashem in the Beis HaMikdash, so we would be supporting them. So every year, from year one through six, there's different obligations that we have, different opportunities that we have to support our brothers and sisters who need that support. So we're telling Hashem, look, I've done all of that. I haven't forgotten about anybody. I got rid of all the holiness, all the parts of my income that are meant to be given to certain people. I have done all that. And now we're going to ask something, Hashem. We're going to we're say, Hashem, we did what you ask. Now I ask something of you. Gaze down from your holy abode, from the heavens. And bless the land, bless our business, bless the land that we have inherited, the land of Israel. So we're telling Hashem, look, we did our part, and now we're asking that you do your part. You bless us. You bless our business. And Rav Hirsch says, that we never have any other mitzvah in the Torah that you do this. There's no other mitzvah in the Torah that you make a declaration when you're done. Okay, Hashem, I did what you've asked of me, and now I'm asking of you, you know, to, to bring blessing to my business, to bring blessing to my people and my land. But it just comes to show how important this mitzvah of tzedakah is. It must have a, a special importance if there is such a ceremony that is involved in the process. So that's a little bit of, of giving charity, of tzedakah, and this mitzvah of bikurim. And now I want to move on to another area of the of the parsha, and that is a much more depressing part of the parsha. But uh, it's here, and we got to talk about it. And that is the curses, the curses, and the blessings. So in this parsha, there is this long list of things that people can do that will bring some kind of curse upon them. Hashem is saying, "Aror cursed is the person who does." specific sins, and blessed is the person who fulfills mitzvahs. So the question is that it seems to be a very specific list of things that the curse comes for. It doesn't say cursed is those who do sins, and blessed is those who do mitzvahs. It's a particular list. So let's look at that list and try to understand why is it that it's only these sins that seem to be leading to curse. Arur ha'ish Asher yasa pesel In chapter 27, verse 15, cursed is the one who makes an idol, who makes an idol and worships an idol. And then moving on, cursed is the one who degrades his mother and father. 
Cursed is the one who moves the boundary of his fellow. He's like moving literally his neighbor's fence to take part of his property without him noticing. Cursed is the person who causes a, a blind person to go astray or, you know, puts a stumbling block in front of a, a blind person. A cursed is the one who perverts judgment of an orphan or a widow, etc., etc., etc. Okay, why these? The other ones that are listed here, there are certain um, acts of immorality, forbidden relationships. So, for example, cursed is the one who lies with the, mo- the wife of his father, meaning his mother, but it could also be his stepmother or with his sister. And there's different examples that are brought there. But there are some that are left out, right? The, the primary case of immorality, for example, when it comes to forbidden relationships, would be having relations, let's say, with a married woman. Uh, that's not here. It doesn't say cursed is the one who has relations with a married woman. It's a specifically mother and sister and relations with an animal. What's up with that? Why are we missing some and only certain ones are, are, are bringing curses? So the Archaim talks about this idea, and he asked this question. He says, why is it that only selected sins bring curses? Even within categories, you have forbidden relationships, and some of them have these curses, and some of them do not. And uh, he explains, perhaps it states here, only those transgressions that are concealed and hidden and therefore require an extra deterrent. The deterrent being the curse. And that's why he goes through each and every one. I'll give you a bunch of the examples. Um, And he explains that each one of these are things that a person might have a little bit less deterrent to, to violate these sins. And the reason for that is because he might be doing it in secret, hiddenly. And therefore, if it's hiddenly, people won't know about it. And part of the logic behind that is if people won't know about it, it it would not be enforceable by Besdin, by the Jewish courts. Or maybe people do know about it, but for various reasons, it is something that is not enforceable because it goes, you know, it's a little bit different from the, or short of the red lines that would make uh, a Jewish court Besdin take action. So an example of that would be Arumakla Avivima, someone who degrades his father or mother. Okay, if he would hit his father and mother, that would be enforceable by Besden. Degrading his father and mother is not enforceable. Boom, there you have a sin that somebody might be a little, you know, I don't know, tempted to do, but more willing to do because he knows that he's not going to be punished for it. That's where the Torah steps in and says, no, that brings a curse on you. And that would be hopefully enough of a deterrent that the person wouldn't want to do that. It actually says when it talks about uh, creating the idol as well. It says it's Tayavas Hashem, it's an abomination to Hashem. The sum baseser. He takes it and he puts it in hidden, in a hidden place. And he worships his idol in a hidden place. And the Rechaim says, if he'd be worshiping his idol on the front porch of his house, the entire Jewish community would have an obligation to stop him. If he if he's in a Jewish neighborhood and he and he has you know God forbid some kind of idol he literally puts on his front porch and worships in front of everybody then anybody who sees that is going to be required there's a law of arvis kol yisrael arevim zelazem every Jew is a guarantor for one another and that means we need to help take care of the spiritual mat- you know the spiritual matters of our our friends and neighbors that would be a, a public desecration of Hashem's name. So if somebody is worshiping an idol in public, 
his Jewish neighbors would be required to take action. Bezdin would come. This is a visible public act. Bezdin would come. The Jewish courts would be able to enforce that. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who does it in his own house and his his study and nobody sees. That is where the curse can come and be a deterrent for him. And he talks when it comes to the, the forbidden relationships also, he says a very, a very fair, interesting point. He says somebody who has relations with his mother or his sister or an animal, these actions would, by the way, be enforceable by Besden. However, it'd be unlikely to get there. You know why? Because if somebody was walking down the street with somebody else's wife, with another married woman, that would raise red flags everywhere. People would see that somebody is literally, you know, walking somewhere or even worse, going into a concealed or hidden place with somebody else's wife. So that would lead to a a much higher chance that people would be suspicious. And again, the Jewish courts could end up intervening and they can take action about that. But if somebody is going somewhere private or walking down the street with his mother or his sister or even animals that he takes care of, that's not suspicious at all. These are people that it's very common and normal to hang out with. You, you hang out with your mother or your sister and you have animals that you take care of. Nobody's going to look at you and say, oh, wow, red flag, he's doing some disgusting, horrible sin. So that's why the Torah comes in and the Torah says, okay, this is an extra deterrent that we're going to give for these type of mitzvot, these types of sins that are not enforceable or are less likely to lead to the Jewish courts. So that's how the Arachayim explains why some curses are here and some curses are not. Now, I want to read on this topic a, a very similar idea from Rav Hirsch. And uh, Rav Hirsch talks about how uh, basically the same idea that these are, are things that people can't notice. So I'm going to read for you a little bit from what he says. Aror, all, the, all these curses. All blessing is denied to him, to the one who outwardly plays the pious man devoted, pious man devoted to God, but in secret denies the exclusive existence of one God and his rule. So we're talking about someone, these curses are brought on someone who may look to everybody else to be a good, faithful, devoted Jew, who outwardly is respectful to his parents, but inwardly considers himself vastly superior to them, who in the eyes of man preserves the reputation of an honest man, but when it is unobserved, does not hesitate to injure the rights of his neighbor to his own advantage, who is full of enthusiasm for the welfare of his neighbors in the presence of other people, but pushes short-sighted and blind people into misfortune, who grovels with the powerful but denies the weak and helpless their rights, etc., etc., who pretends to be a highly respectable member of society, but then in private, in, in the privacy of, of uh, his home or place where other people can't see, he's, he's involved in these disgusting, immoral acts. So this is where the error comes in, says Rav Hirsch. When somebody looks like he's doing everything right in the eyes of other people, but when it comes to the secret of his own home where people can't see, then all of a sudden he's doing all these disgusting and terrible sins. That's the person on whom these curses come. Now, I want to share another idea from Rav Hirsch, and that is that he, he quotes from, from our, our sages that 
when the Torah says these list of curses, okay, let's say the list that I was just reading you, it is really preceded, it was preceded when, when this happened in real time, with a blessing that was given before every curse. And the blessing was, blessed be the one who does not do whatever that act was that led to the curse. Okay, so let's give an example. I'll give a couple examples. So the first curse that we read in, in this you know, chunk of the parsha was in chapter 27, verse 15. Cursed is the one who creates and serves an idol. Right before it, what was said? Baruch ha'ish asher lo Blessed is the one who does not make an idol. And the next one as well. Before it says cursed is the one who... who um, let's say, who, who shames his parents, right? Who degrades his parents. So right before that, it said, blessed is the one who does not degrade his parents. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's boundary. Blessed is the one who does not move his neighbor's boundary. Cursed is the one who places a stumbling block in front of the blind. Blessed is the one who does not place a stumbling block before the blind. Okay, these blessings get even better. Cursed is the one who has relations with his mother. Blessed is the one who does not have relations with his mother. Blessed is the one who does not have relations with his sister. Blessed is the one who does not have relations with an animal. So if Hirsch says, what incredible comfort lies here. I'm reading for you from his words. How much nearer is the blessing to us than the curse? The curse only comes if we positively and actually do something bad but we have only to abstain from doing any of these curse-bringing acts to have already brought the blessing on us without our doing anything at all. So isn't that incredible? Yes, there are horrific curses in this, in this parsha. but Hashem also wants to give the Jewish people endless opportunity for blessing. That is why we have so many mitzvahs. We have so many different opportunities to bring blessing into our life, to give merits to ourselves. Here too, Hashem says, you know what will bring you blessing? Will bring you blessing when you're not doing these disgusting and horrible sins. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Right now, I am sitting here. You know what I'm doing? I am not moving my neighbor's boundary. I am not degrading my parents right now. And therefore, I'm bringing blessing upon myself. What an incredible thought. What an encouraging thought. So I want to talk about one last angle on the, on the curses. So the, the Torah says, really incredible um, statement that the Torah makes here in chapter 28, verse 45. Let me read the English. All these curses will come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you will have not hearkened to the voice of Hashem, your God, to observe his commandments and decrees that he commanded you because, verse uh, 47, you did not serve Hashem, your God, amid gladness and goodness of heart. Tachas asher lo avadacha Hashem elokecha besimcha uvetuv levav. And this is an, an incredible verse that I think needs a little bit of understanding. The Torah appears to be telling us that the curses will come on us because we didn't serve Hashem with joy, with happiness. But we could be serving Hashem. 
perhaps we are serving Hashem, but we're doing it by rote. We're doing it because that's our habit. We're doing it, uh, you know, just because we feel obligated to, or that's what we think we need to do right now. But but without joy, without the heart, without the passion, without the the gladness in our heart, that's going to bring all these curses. That that is hard to understand. And it's harder to understand if you actually read these curses in the Torah. They are the most horrific descriptions of pain and tragedy that you've ever read. You read them and it just like it it just makes you depressed. And if you think about Jewish history and you're a little bit familiar with different things that happened throughout Jewish history, horrible, horrible times for the Jewish people, unfortunately, this reads like a history book. You can see that this happens. Or this has happened, I should say. Could it possibly be that all this horror and terror happens because we serve Hashem, but without joy? So there's a lot of talk on this. There's a lot of commentators who talk about this. I want to offer my own perspective. This is nothing but my own thoughts. The idea, I think, is 100% true. Whether this is the you know way that the Torah should be understood, that I'm not that I'm not telling you, but I think the idea is is emes. Perhaps the Torah's message is not necessarily that just by doing a mitzvah without joy we're going to have these curses. Maybe it means that by doing mitzvahs without joy it will lead to these curses. What does that mean? It will lead to these curses. If we do our mitzvahs and we don't have any passion in it. We don't have, our heart's not in it. We're just doing it because we feel we need to or because that's the way we were brought up or because that's what our neighbors are doing or you know, fellow congregants in the synagogue or whatever, and we have no joy in it. What are the chances that we're gonna keep it? What are the chances that we're gonna continue to observe the Torah and observe the mitzvahs if our heart is not there and we don't have joy in what we're doing? I think the answer is very little. We live in a free world, both in the society we live in, you know, we live in free countries, and one can do whatever he wants when it comes to religious observance, but also the Torah gives us berer, the Torah gives us free will, bechira, we have bechira, we have choice, we do not, we are not compelled by somebody twisting our arms to fulfill the Torah. So if we're not interested in it, it's just a matter of time before we drop it. It's just a matter of time. We might be feel pressured by a neighbor. It's just a matter of time until we man up and say, okay, I'm just going to leave this community so I can go do whatever I want, right? Our, our kids might be, you know, in, encouraged or sometimes even forced by their parents to do mitzvahs in one way or another. It's just a matter of time until they get old enough that they could walk away and do whatever they want, right? So th- the answer to that the solution to that is finding a way to, to connect to the mitzvahs in a deep and meaningful way, to have joy and gladness in the way we serve Hashem. If we serve Hashem with joy, we will love what we do. But if we serve Hashem without joy and we're not in it, that will lead to the curses. You know why? It's a very simple path of events. It will lead to, at some point or another, us deciding to heck with this. This is not for me. I'm not interested. Nobody's forcing me at gunpoint to do this right now. And one by one, we'll stop observing the mitzvahs. And that will certainly lead to the curses. 
if we do all the sins that are written in the Torah, that the Torah says about them, if you do this, you will be cursed, that, of course, will lead to the curses. So maybe that's the message of the Torah. If we don't serve Hashem with passion and joy, naturally, we're going to end up doing these sins. We're going to end up ditching these mitzvahs, and that will lead to us bringing the curses upon ourselves. But if we find the, the passion in our Judaism, if we can find our connection in a way that makes us jump out of bed in the morning, excited to serve Hashem, then that will lead to the blessing. That will keep us very, very far away from the curses. And if this is how we educate our children, by, by power of example, we show our kids that our Judaism makes us sing and dance and jump up and down. We love it. We love what we're doing. Nobody's forcing us to do it. We're not begrudgingly, you know, doing this mitzvah or doing that mitzvah. We, we anticipate it. We love it. We live it. This is what we want to do. There's no doubt that we'll be able to, to pass that on. We'll be able to pass that on to the next generation if we show them how much we love what we do, how much we love the Torah and mitzvahs. That's all for this week, and we'll be back again next week.